0: You would turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. It is so good to be back in this place. This is what God has called me to, and I am thankful to be back, and what a joyful time to come back into the pulpit after being away from it for the longest period in my ministry, and yet it was a good, refreshing time to be on sabbatical, and very thankful to have that opportunity, and as I came back and enjoyed the weekend and the beautiful liturgy that Keith put together and the wonderful message Brian gave yesterday and the absolutely glorious music today, I couldn't think of a better weekend to come back and preach God's good word to you today. And so I'm very thankful to have this great privilege and opportunity, one of which I do not take for granted, give God thanks for, uh, because there is still work to do. As we now look into the word of God that he has put before us, know that this is truth, this is his word, and so let us now with attentive ears and faithful hearts pay attention to it as we begin reading at verse 1. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Our gracious Father, we now ask that your spirit would attend the preaching of your word. For we know, and your scripture has told us that you have given to us the gift of preaching and have even exalted it above the mere reading of the word, that even through the fallible men, your word may be proclaimed. And through the office of the ministry, Christ speaks to us here this day. And so we ask the Spirit to open our hearts that we might hear. And that we might see the glory of the truth. And the truth may set us free. And that we might fellowship more closely and dearly with our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father. That we can see and that we can hear and we can handle the word of life which was manifested to us. And we ask, Lord, that you would sanctify us this day as a body of Christ here at Heritage and that you would work mightily and powerfully through your word now preached. Be glorified and bring forth the fruit. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Maybe may be seated. Over the course of my time away, I finished a book called Essentialism. Some of you may know that book. As I made my way through the book, I was contemplating what is essential in the remaining days of my life and with what I do, my calling. And then I turned the thoughts to the church, to heritage, and I was asking what is essential for heritage for now as well as the future? We spent the better part of this weekend considering feasting and fellowship and, and community, which are essential to the Christian faith. And all these three terms are very closely related, and so much so that in some contexts, they are actually synonymous. Now, I believe this is a timely message for us to consider the grace of community. As well as, it is, as well as the imposters of community, those dangers, those threats that threaten true, genuine Christian community. So this morning, I want us to think about these things in those three terms that I've entitled the message, Fellowship, Feasting, and Community. As we think about the fellowship, the community that we have here at Heritage, know, first of all, that Christian fellowship is only in Christ as John begins his epistle here he begins declaring the word of life the life that was manifested to us from the father which is the son christian fellowship is bound up in this life with Christ this life that was manifested to us the word fellowship is mentioned here four times in this particular chapter. The word is koinonia. It's a word that we get communion, community. And so, as we think about fellowship and feasting and community, you see how all three of these things go inseparably together and in such a tightly knit woven fabric that you cannot separate the one from the other without destroying the entirety of the whole. Christian's community, first of all, begins with one's individual relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, our relationship with God, our fellowship with God, our communion with God, our community with the Trinity... Is the very source of our community here at Heritage. Sinners who by nature are at war with God can only have fellowship with God when that enmity between the sinner and God is removed. And that enmity goes two ways. We were born with a spirit of enmity against our Creator, and Psalm 5 tells us that God not only hates the sin, He hates the sinner. There is enmity between God and the sinner because of what we have done against a holy and righteous God. And there is a battle and a war in our spirit against this holy God. And that broken relationship between the sinner and and God is characterized as darkness and sin. It's characterized with brokenness and death. War in our inward members that can only be restored in Jesus Christ. And that is the good news. The only way we can have fellowship with God is... We receive what God has done for us in Christ. And the way that we receive that is to repent of our sins. We turn from darkness to light. We accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And entrust our lives into his care completely. We resign ourselves. We cease becoming Lord of our lives and we let Jesus become the Lord. Knowing that we are bought with a price. We are not our own and we bow our knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now when we do that, we are united together with Christ and brought into a sweet fellowship with God. We become new creatures. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The battle against God is no longer. The enmity has been settled, the wrath of God against us has been appeased in Christ. And as long as we are walking in the light and not in darkness, we have fellowship with God and, His, and the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And that fellowship with Christ brings us into the fullness of joy. That's what verse 4 says, that your joy may be full. Don't you want? fullness of joy. and So here is the intention here that God gives us. Now notice with me, if you will, verses 6 and 7, with whom is this fellowship that John is mentioning. In verse 6, it says that if we say we have fellowship with him, see, there is a fellowship with God in Jesus Christ. But that is in verse 7 then expounded when he says that we have fellowship with one another. Our union in Christ individually necessarily also places us in union with each other. That's a fact, not an option. And there's a sense that that Fellowship, that community that we have with one another has been true even before we have been brought together. In fact, as we have been reflecting upon the communion of saints over the course of this weekend, that communion of saints transcends this time and space And there is in a tremendous eternal sense uh, that we were in union in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world and therefore union with each other there. And the point here is that fellowship with God necessarily places us in a fellowship with one another. That's true Christian community. And we need to understand, secondly, that Christian community is a grace that is mediated by Christ. Christian community is a blessing. It's a privilege. It is not a right. It is not something that we can presume upon, nor can we fabricate Christian community. It's not something we can make. It's not something we can do. Christian community is a gift that must be received by faith, lived out by faith, and accepted on God's terms by walking in the light. And the fact is that we need one another. This is a tremendous privilege and a tremendous blessing for those who walk in the light. Not only do we belong to one another, our lives are actually mutually dependent upon one another. And verse 4 tells us that this life of fellowship with God is declared to us by other people who've walked in the light. Community is covenantal. It's never isolated. It's never separate. It's not independent. It's not autonomous. It's not individualistic, and it's not even private. There's not a single person here who came to Christ on his own. It's just a fact of life. But rather, God used other Christians united to his son, Jesus Christ, to declare the word of life to you. This word which we have seen and which we have heard and handled, we declare unto you, he says. And that's true for us all. You wouldn't be reading an English Bible if it were not for someone declaring the word of life to you, see, we are dependent not only on each other here, but on those who have gone before us. And when one is hurting and one is down or in need or in error, they need someone to come alongside them and speak the word of life to them. And that's what we need to do with each other. We need to be declaring the word of life. That's where true, genuine fellowship begins to happen. And so there is this joy and there's this light that we have that we don't merely need to give it to the world. The world needs it, but we need it for each other. We need to comfort each other with the same comfort with which we have been comforted. We have all of the graces of Christ and that has been freely given to us. And those graces of Christ that have been freely given to us, we are obligated to give to one another. We are to love one another. We are to be kind, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, have forgiven you. We are to be merciful to one another because God has been merciful to you. All those one another's, right? They are obligations that we can draw from because God has been abundant with his graces with us. And so therefore, with one another, we can then serve and show the love of God and encourage that. And that is how we grow up into each other and how the church grows of itself in love. And all of those graces flow from and out of Christ into his people, his church. The fellowship here that John is speaking of in the power of the Holy Spirit, this, this communion, this community is here speaking about only happens in Christ. Only happens in Christ. That's what this church is about. That's what this community is about. When one comes to Christ, he is united in community with all the other saints. It is a wonderful thing, a joyous thing, a splendid thing, a privilege, a blessing. It is a grace, and it is needful for our souls. So what does this fellowship primarily consist of? Primarily consist of. What does it consist of? Hospitality. Hospitality. Social interactions like we've enjoyed much of over the course of the weekend, shared interests with each other, eating over at one another's houses, men's book studies, ladies' Bible studies, playing frisbee, soccer, volleyball, tug of war. No, actually none of those. All of these interactions with one another can be produced by anyone or any organization without genuine, true Christian fellowship. That's not primarily what Christian fellowship is about or even consists of. Christian fellowship is a grace and a gift of God that cannot be fabricated, produced, planned, or organized And that is because the essence of our community is spiritual union with Jesus Christ. What determines our community is what each of us are by reason of Christ. Now I want to distinguish something here that I think is important for us to distinguish, and I'm borrowing some help from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his little book, Life Together. And in that book he has a chapter on Christian community, and so I'm going to give him the credit for this, but I think it's helpful for us to recognize. We need to distinguish between mediate community and immediate community. Mediate is a word that means to go between. The verb mediate comes from that word, but mediate community, a go between immediate community. We're not thinking about the time frame of how quickly something happens, but it is without mediation, without the go-between. It is direct. So there is something that is a direct fellowship and community and something that is a mediated fellowship and community. We need to distinguish between those two communities because Christian community is not An immediate community, an immediate community, but a mediate community. In our fellowship with one another, there must be something that comes between us that makes community what it is, and that is Christ. If Christ is not between us, we have no genuine fellowship in this sense. For to us to have true Christian fellowship, Christ must be between us. He must be the mediator. He stands between you and God, but He also stands in between all of us as we are united with Him. Christian community is not a vision, it's not an ideal for us to realize, but rather it is created by God in Christ for which we must participate. It is a grace. It is a work of God, not a work of man. It is a grace for which we should give thanks to God and not complain about it. With that in mind, let us now consider some of those dangers and threats to Christian community that we at Heritage need to be aware of. If you scan further down in your Bible, down in chapter 2, verse 19, he's continuing even in a train of thought, but I'll just read that one particular verse when it says, "...they went out from among us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us." Now he's relating this back to Christian community and why some of those false teachers left that community there are very there's a lot of false notions of community christian community even and churches that attract certain people to that community but for the wrong reasons See, true community, when lived out biblically, will be a beautiful thing, and that beauty of community will be attractive. It will have fruit of which people would love to pick and eat. It is attractive that will bring people together, and there is something that cannot be argued against that God is doing. But some people will be more attracted to the beautiful fruit of what the gospel produces than to the God that creates the tree. They're more interested in the fruit than the God behind the fruit, the truth that brought the fruit forward. And when true community is maintained by Christ, those who are not looking for the kind of community that Christ has graced us with will depart. True fellowship with Christ will produce true fellowship with one another. And the danger is when community of Christ forgets who it is. It loses its way or it ceases to be centered around Christ and in Christ when we are desiring the immediate fellowship and not the immediate one. In fact, Christ gave warnings to each of the seven churches that he addressed in the book of Revelation in the second and third chapters there. He gave them warning, if their true community was not maintained, then their fellowship, their community, their church itself will be dissolved. When true community is not maintained, when people come into the community who impose their own desires upon it, when men do not receive it as a gift but attempt to make it something of their own desires, when men are more interested in the immediate fellowship than Christ, or the fruits more than the one who cultivated it. When people come with their own notions of what community they would like to see or what community life should look like on their own terms, rather than accepting God's gift as he has given and given thanks for it, the community is in danger of being hijacked by the ideals and desires of men. Bonhoeffer quotes in his book, he who loves his dream of community more than community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. End of quote. Genuine community is not made up of us, but is received by us as a gift of God. We enter in community as thankful recipients of it, not of demanders of it, Bonhoeffer again says, "...how can God entrust great things to one who has not thankfully received from him the little things? If we do not give thanks daily for the Christian fellowship in which we have been placed, even where there is no great experience, no discoverable riches, but much weakness, small faith, and difficulty, if on the contrary we only keep complaining to God that everything is so paltry and petty, so far from what we expected then we hinder God from letting our fellowship grow according to the measure of the riches which are there for us all in Jesus Christ, end of quote. Let me go briefly with you, if you would, have take that sheet of paper, and I want to just um, go through some of a contrast between a true spiritual community and a human community that made up of pious people, made up of people, but truly do not understand Christ. So if you would turn with me on that page, I'm just going to very briefly go through this. Spiritual community versus a human community. In a spiritual community, the basis is the word of God in Christ. That's what the epistle of John was reflecting upon. In a human community, there are dark desires of the human mind. A spiritual community is based on truth, whereas a human community is based on desire. Spiritual community, the essence is light of a human when it is darkness. Spiritual, we have fellowship with those who are called in Christ, but in the human, there's a fellowship of devout souls. Bright love burns in brotherly service versus a dark love of good and evil desires. In a spiritual community, there's orderly, brotherly service, but in a human community, community, disorder, desire for pleasure. In spiritual, there's humble subjection to the brethren, but in the human, a haughty subjection of one's brother to one's own desire. In spiritual community, God's word alone is binding, but in a human community, in addition to the word, men bind others to themselves. In a spiritual community, all power, honor, and dominion are surrendered by the Holy Spirit. But in the human community, the spheres of power and influence of a personal nature are cultivated. In a spiritual community, the spirit governs. But in a human one, psychological techniques and methods govern. In a spiritual community, service to one's brother is humble and simple. But in a human community, service consists of searching, calculating analysis of a stranger. And then he says, one only immediate relationship with one another through Christ is in a spiritual community. This that immediate relationship. We can meet others only through the mediation of Christ. And because Christ stands between me and others, I dare not desire direct fellowship with them. Versus the immediate community where he says that desire for the immediate contact with others, this direct contact... Here, human ties and bonds are everything where everything reflects a distorted image. If you seek to understand more of Bonhoeffer's understanding of that, I would commend the book and particularly that chapter. If you flip the page over, he then will contrast a biblical love that happens within a true spiritual community versus a human love that happens within a human community. The biblical love is mediated by Christ, but human love is immediately sought with another. A biblical love is based upon the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit and demonstrates God's character in it. But human love can be fervent, it can be sacrificial, it can even speak the Christian language with eloquence, but lacks the spirit and godly character. Biblical love directed to others for Christ's sake, but human love is directed to others for the self. Biblical love seeks indirect contact with others where Christ is between the two, but human love seeks direct contact with others, not as a free person, but one that he binds to himself. Biblical love rejoices in and fellowships with the truth and maintains fellowship with the truth. But human love cannot tolerate the dissolution of fellowship that has become false for the sake of genuine fellowship. Biblical love has a desire for God's glory and fellowship governed by this truth. But a human love, desire for human community, is at the expense of truth. A biblical love is rooted in and yields to God's desires where a human love, when desires go unfilled, it turns to hatred, especially when it encounters biblical love. Biblical love where Christ is the focus. Human love is where it makes an end to itself. It becomes an idol. And so biblical love is solely bound up in what God's word informs Where Christ bids me to maintain fellowship for the sake of love, I will maintain it. Where truth enjoins me to dissolve fellowship for one's love's sake, there I will dissolve it. Whereas a human love is driven by personal desires, opinions, and convictions. Human love can never understand biblical love because biblical love is from above, something completely strange and incomprehensible to earthly love. Now, I want to go through this very quickly so you have at least a handout that you can meditate more on those things as you have opportunity and time. But we are bound together by faith in Christ and not by experience. We are bound together immediately in Christ and not by direct, immediate experience. And this faith is what the Apostle John was saying is the walking in the light. It is living in obedience to Christ in His Word. As I come to one last point that I would like to bring in, I'll try to handle it briefly, but that is the feasting portion of it. True community and feasting go hand in hand. It is no accident that the word communion is the same Greek word for community, fellowship, and for communion. If we truly understand the nature of Christian fellowship, then communion and feasting falls right into place. And feasting on Christ and with Christ is not merely what we do. It really is definitively who we are. Feasting together is both theological and in a personally significant, because if we are unable to feast together with any other Christian, it calls into question our Christian identity and the gospel truth. The essence of the gospel is found at the intersection of community and communion, this was the context that surrounded this passage in Galatia that we read, Galatians that we read a, a bit ago. As we reflect upon it once again, let me read a few verses from that passage from Galatians 2, beginning in verse 11. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, Paul is speaking, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, He would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles, not as the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as Jews? And what was going on here? Jewish Christians had come up from the Jerusalem church. They held to a position that Gentiles must be circumcised in order to become a Jew to become a Christian. They viewed Christianity in light of an an exclusive Jewish membership. And the Jews had a custom not to eat with the uncircumcised Gentiles. Peter had to be taught this by God in, about the gospel truth as he ministered to Cornelius, about the middle wall partition being taken down in the work of Christ between Jew and Gentile. So there is no difference between Jew and Gentile in Christ. Now all are one in him. But Jewish men came up from Antioch and from Jerusalem, and, and there was a weakness in, in Peter's faith and uh, a spot, the cheek in his armor that made him vulnerable. And he waffled and began to withdraw himself from eating with Gentile Christians because they were uncircumcised. And this very act of a Jewish Christian not eating with a Gentile Christian at the same table was at the very heart of the gospel. Paul had got into Peter's face and rebuked him sharply because Peter was to be blamed. Peter was a pillar of the church, and the gospel of truth was at stake simply because of Peter's actions for not eating with certain people. And in the simple act of eating, the nature of the truth of the gospel was at stake so much that not only Paul had to get in Peter's face, but the Holy Spirit saw fit to keep that inscribed in the Scripture for our learning that we might also understand that feasting together as Christians and with all Christians is part of the community of Christ in which we live. Feasting goes with community, as does communion with our true fellowship. True Christian feasting together is immediate feasting, not immediate feasting. It's having Christ between us, and that's how we eat with each other in the presence of God. And there's no greater expression of all these principles that I have covered than right here before us at the communion table as we come to partake of Jesus together. Our feasting and our fellowship and our community can only be in Christ. And in Christ, we are united together in a community. It is a grace that we have received and not something that we have done. And we need to give thanks. It is not something we can make or fabricate, but something God has given to us as a blessing so that our joy may be full. Now, if you are not in Christ, you will not know this genuine fellowship and community. Neither will you experience the fullness of joy. But if this is true of you, you need fellowship with God. And that can only happen when you repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and trusting the entirety of your life over to him. And when you receive him, you receive a bigger package. You receive... Not only fellowship with God in Christ, but you receive this fellowship of the saints. It all comes together. But threats to this community come when we seek an immediate fellowship rather than a mediated one in Christ. If Christ is not central in our activities, if he is not the one that comes between us, our fellowship will not be true, Christian fellowship. Walking by faith is walking in the light, in the word of life that we have declared to you, which we have seen and heard and handled, and we have manifest the word of life to you, John says. It is that word of life that binds us together, not the experiences that we share together. So let's now come to the table of communion and seek to maintain In God's love, what God has done, and as this table is also called the Eucharist, which means to give thanks, let us receive the good gifts of God, giving him thanks for what great things he's done in Christ. The things that he is doing here at Heritage, the things he will complete, that which he has begun. These, fellowship, feasting, and community, these are essential Things for us, Our gracious Father, we ask that you would unite us together in Christ with newness and freshness of spirit, with a commitment to follow these things and to be aware of the dangers that would threaten genuine, true Christian community. Lord, may we each be responsible for our lives in walking in the light and declaring the word of life to each other, that we need to hear from the lips of our brethren. And Lord, we ask that you'd forgive us for all of our sins where we fall short of this glory and restore unto us the joy of thy salvation and give us a greater vitality and vibrant walk with Christ as we walk in the light. And may that be true as we walk with one another in the love that Christ has given to each one of us. Bring forth beautiful fruit in this community for generations to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.